0: You can turn over to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. We're just taking a little break from our expository teaching through the Bible. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew for several years and finished that up a couple weeks ago, so we're just kind of... Sometimes it's good to revisit some things that need to be revisiting, and uh, this is basically part of a little mini-series, a closer look at the church. Last week, we looked uh, clearly at... The shepherd's responsibility to the uh, to the sheep, and that was uh, found last week to be one of uh, admonishing the sheep. And we'll just read here out of First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve. He says, "We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you." That was the first thing that they work among you and are over you; they have authority over you. And they teach you, or they admonish you, it says in verse 12. And then it says, And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. I have to admit, this morning, um, this message kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable, (laughs) in a way, because it can be very easily, uh, I think, misinterpreted. Last week we looked at the... Uh, shepherds responsibility to the sheep this week we're looking at the sheep's responsibility to the shepherd and as we go through this I pray that you'll take it in the right light it's not meant to be self-serving in any way believe me Um, but it's meant to show us how we can uh, better treat our spiritual leaders that are over us in the Lord and um, as a family of God, our hearts and lives must support those and help and hold to account those spiritual leaders um, in our church. And I just want to read a section out of, and we'll be visiting this again, out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. It says, But do not forget to do good and share, for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. There's a lot of misunderstanding and I think even uh, unrealistic expectations when it comes to uh, the role of a pastor. Uh, there's one little thing I ran across, you may have heard this before, called the perfect pastor. It says, the perfect pastor, well, I blew it on the first point here, the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. <laughs> he condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes about 40 bucks a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, Uh, buys good books, and donates 30 bucks a week to the church. (laughs) He's 29 years old, but he has 40 years of experience. Above all, he's handsome. A perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and yet he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for the church meetings and councils and committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. (laughs) The perfect pastor is always in the church next door. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor... And then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. <laughs> if everyone cooperates, in one week you receive 1,643 pastors. <laughs> one of them should be perfect. So esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. I just wanted to share with you quickly this morning, and we have communion, we'll be spending a little time doing that, but um, just a brief message on on the role of the sheep to the shepherd. Because there is a role there. And it's not just one way. Um, but I want to first, you know, last week we looked at the, the responsibility of the shepherds to the sheep. And it's one of laboring among you, it says. That they have authority over you, it says, in the Lord. This is not an ego thing. And they also provide instruction for the sheep. Um, but just in way of introduction, I just want to, Um, read out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, because the church clearly gave some, it says in verse 11, apostles, or the Lord gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Ephesians 4.12 says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ And held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to talk to you, just in a way of introduction, about the call of the shepherd. What does it mean to be called as a pastor? And you say, well. What is that role? It's it's, it's a role of spiritual leadership, of pastoral leadership. I would define it this way. A specific call placed upon those men who have been effectually chosen by God, demonstrated the character of Christ, and have been given the necessary gifts for the purpose of building, equipping, overseeing, and serving the local church. Pastoral leadership begins with a call to Christ and thus to ministry. And by God's grace, a man is given the character and gifts necessary to lead the church. Well, I put a couple things down here, just things that kind of popped into my mind. What does it mean to be called as a pastor? Well, first of all, pastoral ministry is multifaceted. You don't just get up on a Sunday and preach a sermon and that's all you do. There's a multiple... Uh, multiplicity of the things that you do, administrating, shepherding, discipling, all those things are important to the role of a pastor. It may be that call that comes at 2 in the morning and you're at the ER till 5 a.m. with someone. It may be those uncomfortable situations that you're put in from time to time where you're called by God to rebuke and to exhort. And correct and encourage people that you love dearly. But it has to be done. It's really discipling those who may not see the ministry as service oriented, but more the ministry is servicing them, and yet not use the pulpit as a bully pulpit for our own agenda. It's taking a stand against the flesh against the superficiality of this world when those indulge in it. It's speaking the truth in love, no matter what. See, ministry isn't just teaching. Being a pastor isn't just teaching. It isn't just being in front of a group of people. First of all, I think, bottom line, above all, it's serving. It's serving Christ. It's serving the people of God. It's serving the sheep. Pastoral ministry is serving the Lord first in our own heart. It is understanding that one day we'll stand before God and be held account with what we've done. With what God has blessed us with. So it's multifaceted. It's also Serving the Lord first, and that has to be that has to be a desire that God gives you this isn 't something you can fake okay you just can 't thirdly, pastoral ministry is sacrificing time with your own family um, there 's a demand put upon someone who 's in what we could say is given their life to full time ministry in some Former fashion and you know what the family's down here on on the the ladder if my family was number one i would not be in this church i would be in a church in virginia near my grandchildren near my daughter near my son-in-law and i would probably jump around every three years with them and have an itinerant somehow have an itinerant ministry (laughs) because i want to spend time with my grandchildren as they grow up You know what that's like. You know what it's like to spend time with your family. See, and when in pastoral ministry, you're making a conscious choice to say, okay, you know what, that's important, but it's not that important. It's important that I spend time with my grandchildren and my daughter and my son-in-law, but it's not as important as I spending time with you here in this place that God has called me to. So there's a sacrifice it's a sacrifice when your family starts to get older and your family of nine begins to dwindle to a family of four. <clears throat> and you begin to question in your mind ah, maybe I should have spent more time with it. Maybe I. Well, that's not on the. It's not up to you to decide. I think of some missionaries, people like the Kennels who've given their entire life. To not just ministry, but ministry in a foreign country. Ministry in countries sometimes where they can't even spend time with their own kids. They put their kids in a school, sometimes hundreds, thousands of miles away from them as a family, because it's unsafe for the children to be on the field. And so they're put in a, a school, a missionary kid's school, with a bunch of other missionary kids. And to the world, that may look as oh, how horrible is that? They're deserting their own family. Well, in a way they are, but they're deserting their own family for the Lord. And the last time I checked, that's exactly what Jesus demands. Jesus says, unless you, you know, your love for me should be such that your love for your family almost seems as hate. It's not telling you to hate your family in that text. He's saying your love for me should be so much more abundant than your love for your spouse or your children or your family or your relatives that it almost seems as hate when compared to your love for me. So there's there's a sacrifice there. This one comes hard. This next one is is hard at times. Pastoral ministry is always, always subordinating your will to the will of God. Always. No exception. Well, what do you mean? Well, I could think of a lot of states in this beautiful country of ours that I would love to serve the Lord in simply for economic reasons. be a lot cheaper. You could live a lot easier. The Bay Area, of all places, Lord, why did you call me here? <laughs> but see, it's not up to me. It's up to God. It's what God's will is for that pastor. And they're willing to yield to it. The pastoral ministry is never to be used for self-serving, but it's always self-crucifying. It's it's pretty much a life of continual sacrifice. It's a life of living in the fishbowl. (laughs) Of sometimes hearing accusations or innuendos, maybe even outright falsehoods. About you or your family. And yet, somehow being able to press on and set it aside. I think pastoral ministry would probably drive you to paranoia if you're not called by God. (laughs) I really do. Because pastoral ministry is depending upon God, really, to defend you in, in some of these situations as 1 Peter 5, 6 says, but that's what God has called the pastor to. And it's not reacting with kind of a vicious heart or whatever. We're to, we're to respond in grace. And when we don't, people are quickly to point that out. It's often a humanly lonely calling. Because pastoral ministry sometimes really is serving in what I like to say obscurity. I remember when I was flying back east one time and I looked down, we were out in Nebraska somewhere in these little towns like just, you know, you'd fly for five minutes, you'd see a little tiny little thing down there. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, You know what? There's a pastor in that town that's called by God to pastor those five people or those ten people or fifteen people or whatever God has given him. He doesn't live in the Bay Area, he lives somewhere out in the middle of the plains of Kentucky or, or Nebraska or wherever somewhere. Where if everybody in the whole town showed up to one of his church meetings, maybe he'd have 20, 30 people. It's obscurity. But that's where God has called them. And sometimes we we forget that. We forget that it's it's a life calling. And a lot of times, that calling is upon that individual. Sometimes that calling is not upon the wife. Sometimes that calling is not upon the children. I remember when we relocated from the Bay Area down to the desert. Our daughter wasn't thrilled about that. Being yanked out of her her, her whole environment of friends that she's lived all of her life with to go to a place she doesn't know anybody? To start high school? <laughs> it's a sacrifice. And a lot of times that sacrifice happens in what you can say is, is almost obscurity. Pastoral ministry is constantly relying upon God. God. Constantly relying upon God. See, this isn't my agenda. This is not, I I am here at the will of God. And, you know, after I first came to this church, I had a probably a six-month plan, you know, we're going to grow this church. We're going to... and, then, and then after six months, that plan went to 12 months. And, and after 12 months, it went to 18 months. And then finally, I just threw my hands up and said, you know what? God, I don't know what you want to do. I just want to be faithful to teach your word. And I'm going to be happy with whatever you bring me. And you know what? You know my gifts. You know my abilities. And, and I don't want to be overwhelmed. And yet, I don't want to be underwhelmed. So, Lord, this is up to you. You said that you would grow this church, Jesus. It's your church. It's not my church. It's not the people's church. And I remember kind of feeling that burden lift off my back because there's a lot of pastors that go into ministry that have an incredible burden placed upon them to the point, especially in this church growth kind of mentality that we have today, the church as always has to be growing in number hey, would it be to God that it happens? We should do everything within our, our possibilities to share the gospel with those who have yet to hear and come to Christ. But also, we need to be reminded that it's, it's His church. And He will dictate the size of this church. And the minute we begin to do that, then we are bringing in things from the world and, and, and really kind of superimposing them upon His church. And saying, well, we need to dumb things down because unbelievers wouldn't feel comfortable here. Or we need to do this, we need to do that. Or we need to have, you know, more of an entertaining kind of a music agenda on Sunday morning. And we'll get the younger crowd and we'll do this. There's all sorts of books and things that you can do to manipulate the local church. And a lot of times it's done, they say for the glory of God, but a lot of times it's because, you know what, that pastor needs that church to grow basically so he could maybe feel better about himself. And so pastoral ministry is constantly relying on God to do his work in the local body. Hopefully you're a a, a conduit that he works through. But pastoral ministry is also waiting patiently on God in service. It's working with people that sometimes are transient, they're here today, gone tomorrow. (laughs) Or maybe they're just sitting back; they're uncommitted. Or maybe they're just babes in Christ, and they need that extra attention. But it's it's waiting on God in service. In other words, you don't sit back and say, "Well, I'm just going to wait till we have 100 people, then I'll start pastoring." No. I remember as a youth pastor, we used to plan some kind of what we thought was pretty big events. You know, we thought maybe we'd have 100 kids come out or something for a pizza feed, all night bowling thing, or whatever. You know, and and at the end of the whole thing, you know, you have three or four kids show up, and the life is just sucked out of you. And you're looking at these three or four kids, and you got to make a decision. Do you cancel it? Do you say, ah, oh, you know, we're not going to do it. We're going to go home. No, you could never do that. So you trudge on, and you take those three or four kids, and you make them think like, man, this whole event is about them. And to be honest, those were some of the nicest and, and well-remembered events that, that we put on Those times that you could spend that intimate time and those kids just lit up when they realized, wow, you're going to do this anyway? There's only four of us. Yeah, but you're the four. You mean something. Sometimes that call to ministry means waiting on God to supply your needs. Sometimes it involves working a full-time job. Sometimes it involves working a part-time job as well as the ministry. Before I came here. I did that for years. Most of the churches I served in as a youth pastor was, you know, it was a part time kind of call or a full time call, but it was, was part time remuneration. So, you you know, I worked at a picture frame shop. I, I um, worked for the uh, train company. They unloaded all those brand new cars. That was kind of a, a cool job, drive the brand new cars off the, the railroad. Um, I did, I worked in a warehouse. Did all sorts of things. And that was all not for an agenda to have a career in that. But it was so that God could supply the need so that I could serve the local body. But part of that was waiting patiently for God to work. Pastoral ministry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, says that it's it's not a means of great gain. You're not going to get rich if you're sincere in the ministry doing what a pastor does. You're just not. Because that's not where your heart is. Now, yeah, there are some pastors that you see them on TV once in a while. You know, they drive and they're flying their jets and they do all that. I think they're looking for ministry as a means to great gain. They're, they're bilking people out of money. That's not a calling of a pastor, though. And so pastoral ministry is a, it's a joy to be called. It really is. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um... Really, it's the only option for the person who's really called to ministry. If you can find happiness doing anything else, then you need to go do it. (laughs) When I was down in Riverside County, I worked with the DA's office for two years, and I loved that job. I just loved it. I had a little badge, I had a car, had health benefits, I had, you know, the, the retirement thing, I had everything. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. And I remember... When that envelope came from Grace Bible Church, I didn't want to open it. <laughs> really didn't. I didn't want to go down that road again. Been there, done that. I, I like this job. Man, I got, all oh, everything's getting lined up. You know, this is neat. But that's not what God called me to do. Some people look at pastors and they say, oh, that guy must, he must have tried everything else and couldn't excel at anything. So he's... Bilkin the church or whatever you know he 's taking money from the church he's he 's got it easy um, Pastoral ministry can be a a frustrating hurricane that will just blow you down we 've had some high winds here lately it will will blow that that presumptuousness right out of you if you enter in with the idea that it 's going to be some great grandeur and You know, you're going to envision yourself of some, you know, golden-tongued orator in front of thousands. And, you know, I I talk to young guys in ministry, and they're planning churches. And, you know, I mean, praise God, some of the, the ministries do take off, but most of them don't. And so they'll go down to Rick Warren's church, and they'll go through his little church 101 thing, and they'll go back, and they'll try it in their town, and it just doesn't work. You know, they're left with 20 people. And they're thinking, man, it worked down there. And they get frustrated and they forget that, look, it's not about having the right program. It's not about having your own agenda. It's about doing what God has called you to do. And the only reason you do that is because in the end, pastoral ministry is serving God with no other reward. But to know that in the end, you can stand before him one day and hear those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's all wrapped up in that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul wrote this about his ministry. He says, As I wrote as I did, so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. And Paul goes on in in different areas, but one area where in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. You know, if your call to be a pastor is, is legitimate, nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing. You'll have to do that. And if you're not called, sometimes you venture out in your own strength and and you, you end up very frustrated and you've missed the work that God has called you to do. Uh, this isn't a have and have nots kind of a message this is this is basically saying that there are those individuals that God raises up within the local church that says this is my calling this is all I'm going to do I'm going to focus on this and this alone and so when you have them at that point that doesn't mean they're better than than those who who don't do that we have a you know different levels of 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 elders within our own church, we're all on the same plane together. Just because I'm here at the church full time and and, and Ken has a business or John runs a business or whatever, that doesn't make them less an elder. But it clearly does mean that their call to ministry is different than mine. So we want to look at the sheep's responsibility to the shepherds. I told you last week you had a week of grace, right? Do whatever you want, but today you're going to find out what the responsibility of the sheep are to the shepherds. And it's right there in our text in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. It says there in verse 12, "We ask you brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Respect those who labor among you. If you know anything about sheep, I know a little bit because on my brother Tom's farm, his daughter Lisa had some sheep. And I remember them just being, you know, they're not some beautiful white thing. They're just this, they're kind of disgusting, actually. They smell, they're... Their wool is dirty because they're laying in the mud or whatever. They're very weak animals. Um, They're pretty much unorganized. Um, They don't have that ability, kind of like a herd, so they tend to prompt, they have a a, uh, desire to kind of wander off, just to go off by themselves for no good reason. They also have very sharp hooves. That if you get hit by one, you'll realize how sharp they are. And when I think of that, when we think of sheep, at least when I think of a sheep, I think of something I might buy for my little granddaughter, Gabby. A little stuffed animal, you know, just pure white and all fuzzy and cozy and, you know, love to see her hug it and coze up, up to it on the on the couch, and wow. That's not what God has in mind when he's talking about sheep. It's just the opposite. And he basically uh, gives us three uh, expressions that the sheep should offer to the shepherd. And the first one there is the responsibility to respect. The responsibility to respect the shepherd. Um, That word, some of them says, appreciation. Appreciation. Some translation. It's a translation of a common New Testament word. And it means to know by experience. That's what it means. To know by experience. And it's used over and over in the New Testament. And the idea here is that the believers within the local congregation are to know their shepherds deeply and respect them and value their service. That's the idea. I mean, it's much more than, oh, yeah, the pastor, Pastor Steve, yeah, yeah. No. It's, do you really know who Pastor Steve is? Do you know his heart? Do you know facts about his personal life? It has the idea, not not just that, but it has an intimate kind of acquaintance. Personal acquaintance. And you know what? I'll be the first to tell you, all shepherds are different. Some shepherds are, oh yeah, give me a hug. Some shepherds are like, no thanks. (laughs) Right? That doesn't negate the fact that it's the responsibility of the sheep to know their shepherd. And I I thank the Lord that most of the people in our congregation know me pretty well. (laughs) They know what makes me happy. They know what makes me angry. They know what really encourages me, they probably know what would discourage me. And see, it's a lot easier to have a negative attitude toward your pastor if you don't know him. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, it's a lot easier to criticize. It's a lot easier to just kind of not have that appreciation, that respect for that individual. And there's, there's more to the meaning here than just respect. You should know him. But it also talks about supporting your shepherd. And I'm not going to be shy here. It talks about financial support over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For years, I felt that I almost had to apologize for taking a salary from the church. Until God showed me, no, this is what I've called you to do. This is how I'm going to provide for you. And I I just want you to know that, you know what, I'm blessed to be in a church that first of all wanted a full time pastor. Because you can do ministry part time, but that's what you get you get part time ministry. But I'm also blessed to know that I'm part of a congregation that looks out for my needs. That's willing to do what's needed to support their pastor. And it's not a, a uh, like I said, it's, the ministry is not a means to gain anything. Because I think if if the pastor's Um, called and he understands that ministry is of utmost importance then probably most of what is given to him ends up somewhere back in ministry anyways somewhere along the line but Paul said make sure that you respect them in this way and it's a step of faith I've never, that I can recall, been in a church where I like to speak about remuneration, what was paid to the pastor. I didn't uh, really do my homework when we moved up here, to be honest with you. I thought, man, $40,000, that's more than I've ever been paid in my whole life as a youth pastor. Dear, we're going to be living high on the hog, man, this is going to be great. Then we moved up and I started looking for a place to rent. I thought, oh my goodness, $2,000 a month rent? you got to be kidding me. Honey, you're going to have to work. But it's neat to see how the church continues to provide. And, you know, a lot of times I was talking to some guys one day and we were talking about there's no security in the economy today there's no security in in their jobs or their businesses or whatever and and when I'm say, "Yeah, it's kind of unlike you as a pastor." I said, "What do you mean?" I mean, there's no security in my job. There's no security in my role here as your pastor. I could be gone next week. God wants me somewhere else. I, well, once again, it's his will not mine, right? <laughs> as hard as that would be, that would be something that I would have to put on the table. And so, there's not a lot of, uh, matter of fact, a lot of pastors really have a, a major wall up. You know, they don't like to get close to people because they know that God may move them on one day. And it makes it, that makes it even more difficult. Pray that that never happens. But, you know what, it's always something that, that the Lord is working in people's hearts. It's not up to us. And so, we're to appreciate And respect those who are called to serve the Lord in that way. Secondly, we're called to esteem them. You say, wow, what does this mean? Well, it means to think about, to regard, the word means. And there's really, you know, I've seen over the years in ministry that I've been in ministry, two extremes that people go with this. On one side, the church has elevated the leaders almost to the point of worshiping them and making them kind of an uh, untouchable saint kind of a thing. Uh, I've seen that. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells the church in Ephesus and in Revelation 2 that he commends them for hating the doctrine, and this was a group of people, of the Nicolaitans. There's a lot of debate over what exactly uh, this group of people did, but some people actually believe that this was where the breakdown really began, where the role of of priests began to be just that. That all of a sudden there was this major divide between, quote, the laity and those who are serving the Lord. See, first of all, I want you to understand we're all in this together. We all have different callings. I can't do what you are called to do, and, and you probably can't do what I am called to do. And we have to be okay with that. The other extreme is, is equally dangerous because people don't respect or honor or even listen to their leadership. I've heard horror stories about churches that have meetings, and it's almost where, you know, well, who, are, who are you to tell me what to do? How dare you tell me that sleeping with my neighbor is wrong? How dare you? You know, they have this whole attitude. You look at it, it kind of even entered into the Corinthian church in the New Testament. And it opened up the door for major sin because you had people going all over the place saying, oh, I'm of this person, I'm of that person. They were respecting people and it just got way out of hand and they had no respect for the leadership. See, a, a proper relationship between the leadership, the shepherd, and the flock really requires... You know, what I like to say, a mutual trust, a mutual, meaningful submission, one to the other. The congregation of believers has a duty to esteem, to regard, think about their pastors. And it tells you how. It says very highly right there in the text. And trust me, this isn't about the individual. This isn't about Steve. This is about the work that Steve has been called to do. And it tells us there that we should do this, not begrudgingly, right? But it, we should be do it in love. And then it says, why? Because of their work. Because of their work. It's not about them. It's not about the individual. So appreciating the man because they know him. The saints are to- told to really hold him in even greater regard because of the, of the divine calling and the design of, of God. That word there for love is agape. It's a common word. And it refers to that selfless, sacrificial service to others. Uh, the, the, the work the shepherds do is their ministry of the word. It feeds the souls of the flock And we need to never put the person over the work. You know, I hope you like me as your pastor. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. If I'm doing what God has called me to do, if you don't like me, that's your problem. I'm going to still do what God's called me to do. (laughs) That may sound prideful. It's not. Because I'm called here to do what God has Call me to do. I'm at at the service of the Lord. And that's the the same as as when we get together as elders. I mean, you know, sometimes we have to make some hard decisions. Sometimes we have to make decisions that maybe not be popular with everybody. And we have to make those decisions based on the same criteria. You know what? We have to do what God wants us to, to do. We have to do what God instructs us to do. It's not about, well, you know, is half the congregation going to get upset at this? That doesn't enter into it. It's what is right, what is correct. And when God has called pastors and set them apart for the important work of leading his church, we're called to esteem them, to think about them, to regard them very highly in love, in a self-sacrificial way. The last thing here is equally hard to talk about. The responsibility to submit. It says in verse 13 that we should, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he adds this, be at peace among yourselves. Who's he talking about? He's saying, be at peace, the sheep and the shepherd, be at peace. Now, there's other places in the Bible, Romans 14, 19, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Ephesians 4, we're told as the body of Christ to live with peace, live at peace, live in peace with one another, James 3, 18. But here, this admonition by Paul specifically refers to the relationship between this Thessalonican church and its need to submit to its leaders. See, in such submission, if it's done in a God-honoring, God-fearing way, it's going to eliminate any conflict. It's going to eliminate any strife. It's going to eliminate any discord. And what is it going to do? It's going to promote peace. It's going to promote harmony. It's going to promote effective ministry within the church of God. And that's what we're called to do. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 7, he says, "Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their contact, conduct, imitate their faith." He's calling them to re- be reminded of the, the relationship the shepherd has with the sheep." In Hebrews 13:17, down there a little further, it gives us basically two exhortations. It says, first of all, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. See, unless the shepherd or the pastor asks the sheep to do something that is unscriptural or sinful, basically the motto is the sheep ought to obey and submit to the shepherd's leadership. Now, in our church, it's not just me. It's a board of elders. And as the Board of Elders, we even submit to one another. Because we don't want to do anything based on a vote. We don't want to say, okay, well, three, four, one against, okay, three's got it, let's go. No. We have unanimous consent. If there's one person on our board that disagrees with a, with a direction or an action that we're going to take, we table it. We don't move. And there's been on occasion even since I've been here that we've had to table certain things. Because we feel that God would lead in all of our hearts, not just in half of them. But the idea is that when you submit to your leaders and you obey them, you're doing it because you understand that they have watch over your souls. Spiritually, they're interested in in presenting you perfect in Christ, mature in Christ. I mean, that's a task that will never get done. That's the frustration of ministry. You can never minister to somebody to a point where you say, well, now they're done, I'm going to move on. No, and you're never done yourself. So a lot of times you're speaking out of want from your own soul, which is difficult at times, because maybe you're not where you need to be. So it's very difficult sometimes. But we're called to obey them and submit to them. And the verse concludes there. It says, let them do this with what? With joy, not with grief. I mean, you know, we we as leaders in the church, we don't want to come up and, okay, we're going to twist your arm till you say yes. That sucks all the joy right out of ministry. For the local church to really function as God intended and to receive his blessing, their pastors... They're responsible to labor among the people, to exercise authority over them, to provide teaching, instruction for them. And at the same time, the people basically have the obligation to appreciate them, to esteem them, and to submit to them and obey them. And when both parties fulfill their responsibilities respectively, the church becomes unified, the church becomes joyful. Church becomes peaceful. It becomes a healthy flock of God that he intended it to be. Faithful pastors, faithful elders, faithful people ministering together to bring honor to Christ, who is the head. He's the chief shepherd, right? We're all under shepherds. And we'll see him advance the kingdom of God in a way that we've never maybe seen before. I hope that you hear my heart in all this. I'm not saying these things, oh, someone must have ticked the pastor off, or someone must have been disrespectful. No, I'm just sharing with you your responsibility to the pastor, to the shepherd. Just like I shared the shepherd's responsibility to the sheep last week. You know, Ambik and I are, are very blessed to be in a church that we know without a doubt they love us. They're committed to us. They know us in a way other people don't. I mean it's funny when you know I stand at the back door there and, and shake your hand at the end of the service. Somebody asked me one time, why do you do that? And it's you know, it's just my way of somehow maybe staying in touch. With people on a weekly basis. You can tell a lot when you shake somebody's hand. and look them in the eye. Are they gone through it. What's going on? And so. It, it's important to. In that small way. Maintain that kind of. Intimate relationship. Between the shepherd. And the sheep. And it's neat to know. That you folks know me pretty well. How many times have some of you on different occasions come up and, you know, I just want to give you, I know you don't like being hugged, but I'm going to give you a hug anyway. You know that I don't like that, see. You do it anyway. <laughs> and you know that I have to be okay with it, which I am. See, that's kind of neat. You know my wife very well. You know even our grandkids and daughter. That means a lot to us. We're not just a hireling that's come in here to do something for a while. We're part of your family, and you've graciously opened up, the doors, and allowed us to be part of it. And I can honestly say over the years here at Grace Bible Church, there's been some hard times, yes, but for the most part, God has almost supernaturally uh, blessed this church where we don't have a lot of strife. We don't have a lot of infighting. We don't have a lot of cliques. We don't have what a lot of other churches have. And that's not... To lift ourselves up and say, oh, that's purely by the grace of God, beloved. And it's, it's nice to know that God has called me to such a place. And I'm privileged to serve. Well, next week is going to be the last week of this closer look at the church. And we're going to look at something that some of you have asked me about. We've talked about the sheep. We've talked about the shepherd. Now we're going to talk about the flock. The flock the body of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about church membership and what that means. Some people in our congregation don't even realize we practice church membership. In other words, you go through a process to become a member here at Grace Bible Church, either by transfer of letter from another church, if you're a member there, or um, if you're a new believer or you've never been a member of a church, you go through a class uh, on church membership, and we explain a little bit about the church and what goes on. And uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, What's the big deal about church membership? And uh, we'll be discussing that next week. Well, Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll have some worship before we have our our communion time. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your gift to us. And, uh, Lord, we we ask that you would um, continue to do your work in and through us. Lord, I I truly do count it a privilege to minister here among these wonderful people. And, Father, we see your hand at work. And uh, I can't think of a time where I've been, in a way, more excited about the ministry here of Grace Bible Church. I see God raising up um, godly men to serve and teach and do different things in different areas. And, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for women who set aside their own agenda and serve you selflessly on a continuous basis, whether it's serving food in the fellowship hall after service or setting up for special events. Lord, and and they do it with joy on their faces and in their lives. And I I thank you for that. I thank you that you've gifted our church with godly men to lead. And I know that that number will increase. Father, we we pray that you would even now begin to call those men out um, to yourself, those men who will uh, yield the call to serve you um, through your church here in this local congregation. Father, I pray that you'd prepare a heart for our communion time. Lord, help us to set aside anything, the busyness of the week, just to focus on you and your goodness and your grace and the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.